Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Monday, September 10th, 2018. And today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in the chapter to wives, and we are on page 108. We will be starting with the second paragraph, Try Not to Condemn, reading through five paragraphs, ending with He Wants to Stop, and the reference number, the share ID for yesterday's Sunday's meeting, September 9th, 2018, is 11,892, 11892. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Roz G, The Twelve Traditions, Martha M, Allison L, Craig F, and Martha Z. And a newcomer greeter today will be Lynn F, and the host for the second hour, Rebecca F. OA Preamble Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer, our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And with that, I'm going to ask Roz G. to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. Roz G., we can't hear you. Please unmute. Good morning. I'm sorry I was muted. Here we go. Roz G. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Eight, at nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. With that, I pass. Thank you. Monica T, star one. And if Monica's not there, then let's go on to having Martha M. Please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. My name's Martha M., and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, (laughs) for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank everybody for their service and have a great morning. I pass. Thank you, Martha M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes, and I will be timing. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. 
To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter Two Wives. We are beginning on page 108, the second paragraph that says, Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband. We will be reading through five paragraphs, ending with, He wants to want to stop, towards the bottom of 109. And with that, I am going to ask Allison L. if she would read for us, please. Thank you for your service, Monica. I will. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband no matter what he says or does. He is just another very sick, unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. When he angers you, remember that he is very ill. There is an important exception to the foregoing. We realize some men are thoroughly bad-intentioned, that no amount of patience will make any difference. An alcoholic of this temperament may be quick to use this chapter as a club over your head. Don't let him get away with it. If you are positive he is one of this type, you may feel you had better leave. Is it right to let him ruin your life and the lives of your children? especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay the price. The problem with which you struggle usually falls within one of four categories. One, your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He would probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether and some will not. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. Two, your husband is showing lack of control, for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. He admits this is true, but is positive that he will do better. He has begun to try, with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. Maybe he is beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He's worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. He sometimes drinks in the morning and through the day also to hold his nervousness in check. He's remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he wants to stop. But when he gets over the spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. We think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well. He has by no means ruined everything. As we say among ourselves, he wants to want to stop. All right. Good morning, everyone on the line. This is Allison L. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater uh, calling from Ohio. Lots to, lots to dig into here today. And um, so studying this as a textbook, for me, being the addict, what can I learn from this? And what I, what I see and what sticks out to me as I read it is, wow, I'm so sick that the people in my life need to be advised how they can deal with me 
and how they can keep themselves from having their own lives ruined by being in a relationship with me. That's how sick I am. And I always need to remember that, um, that I'm always a compulsive overeater. In, in, in recovery, um, I still need to do this every day um, because the people around me can be so very affected. And I, I relate to, um, you know, the, being the heavy drinker and watching it progress um, in my first marriage and um, not having a program. And while I wanted to want to stop, um, I didn't want to stop enough that I sought out help. Um, I just tried to manage better. And, and my first husband, um, good for him. He, he realized he needed to get out um, before I could do more harm to him in his life or to bring children into the world with him. He, you know, decided to save himself and get out. And, um, you know, once I found this um, Overeaters Anonymous, it, it saved my life. I, I was able to work through the steps and no longer have to treat the people in my life like this. They no longer have to tiptoe around me and treat me um, like a, a, such a sick person and, and guard themselves from being harmed by me and by my behavior. And my husband currently um, has, has seen some of this behavior early in our marriage and, and now has a different wife thanks to this um, program of action that I continue to work in my life every day. Um, so with that, I will pass. Thank you, Allison L. And who would like to share this morning on these paragraphs? Can you tell me the page and paragraphs we're on today? I sure can. We are we are on page. Thank you, Katie. We are on page one hundred eight. We're starting with the second paragraph. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband. We've read through five paragraphs, ending with he wants to want to stop towards the end of one hundred nine. Okay, Katie F. Who else would was it? Katie F. or Katie G. <laughs> KDF. Thank you. Marie J. Marie J. Barbara E. Nancy Barbara. J. R. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I am Barbara E. Uh, Na- Nancy, Nancy who? P. Nancy P. Nancy P. Richard B. Richard. Ginger C. I heard Ginger. I heard Ginger C. B. Cindy C. Wait a minute. Is there a Ginger C? A Denise C. Yes. And a Denise C. Okay. Is there a Ginger C, too? Yes, there was. Thank you. Okay. And was there a Cindy C, too? <laughs> okay. The Cindy sure, may not be. Okay. This This is what I've got. I've got Katie F., Marie J., Barb E., Nancy P., Richard B., Ginger C., and Denise C. So, Katie F., get us started, please, and thank you. Good morning. This is Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, this is re this is showing just the different um types of of eaters, so to speak. I mean, it's talking about alcohol, but you know, um this is why I, I say I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater because I'm not number one. I'm not the person who can stop and start and only does it um on certain occasions and then holds it together the rest of the time. I'm the true compulsive overeater. And 
you know, I wanted to believe that I was the person in this first scenario, but I'm really number two. Um, I showed lack of control all the time. And, you know, I I ate um, at exactly the wrong time. I mean, it was so embarrassing um, at times, but I really thought I was only affecting myself. I didn't realize that I was affecting other people until my life got so small that, um, you know, as a 27-year-old woman, I was living with four other people, um, had this bedroom in a, in a townhouse and, you know, half a shelf in the refrigerator and, you know, one shelf in the cabinet. I mean, I wasn't doing what 27-year-old uh, successful people are doing. I was making less money than I had made uh, when I was 20. And, you know, but still I thought that my eating only affected me. And now fast forward, you know, 30 years later, um, 31 years later, I mean, if I were to go back and eat, it would affect a lot of people. And, you know, as Allison said, it's embarrassing that we have to have instructions on, on how it would affect our family, but this would affect my family. This would be devastating to my family if I went back out there. And I have to remember that on a daily basis, you know, because it's really easy to think, oh, well, this time it won't hurt. Here's how. And, you know, that's just not true. I know it's just food. But for me, for someone like me, it's not just food. It's, um, it's a death sentence for me to go back and think that I can eat like other people, you know, and I'm just so grateful that we have these instructions on how to live and we don't have to go back. We um, have the instruction to keep working with others so that we won't go back because everybody else is reminding me on a daily basis what would happen if I went back out to the food. Um, I don't have to uh, make, dig a deeper hole for me to know that, um, that it would get worse, that this is a progressive disease. I can see that um, in remembering, thank God, I remember exactly what it was like 31 years ago when I was in the food and could not stop no matter what. And I'm just very grateful that I don't have to go back there. And with that, I'll pass. Monica, star one, please. Okay, here we go again. <laughs> okay, it's Marie J's turn, and then it'll be Barbara E. Thanks, Monica. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Great, thank you. This is Marie J, uh, recovered in Colorado. And, um, you know, this, this paragraph tells me that I affect people. You know, my, my disease affects people and especially those that I'm closest to, my husband and children. And I just have to be reminded of this constantly because I can be the most selfish and self-centered person just always looking for what I can get from you and from everybody else and what is life doing for me today and, you know, this morning I woke up and in that, that moment before I'm fully awake, I'm always listening just for the, the God message of the day. I'm always just listening for whatever it is that God has to say to me. And this morning it was people search for meaning. I thought, well, what the heck does that mean? You know, we all 
search for meaning and purpose in life. And when the alarm went off this morning, it was before 5 a.m. and I was tired and it's Monday and I don't want to get up and I'm feeling sorry for myself and, you know, just feeling all that self-centeredness. And then I remembered that being of service in this meeting gives my life meaning and purpose. And it helps me to get out of my selfishness and it helps me not to be the self-centered person that I was before recovery. And that's what motivates me. It's what gets me up. And that's all it is. That's all it is for program. It's just this sim- that, that, that simple. It, it, it means that, you know, if I come into this phone call and I come into this program, what I can, thinking about what I can get out of you and what I can get out of life, I just don't have much motivation. But if I come thinking that there are suffering people clinging to this line and we're all in this together and there may be some way to bring hope to someone, you know, can I be of service for three minutes? And this is really the huge difference in my recovered life today. I have been transformed from being mostly a self-seeking and self-serving sick person and only motivated to see what I can get for myself. And today, I am someone who wants to be of service most of the time. And I want to be of service to my husband and to my children especially. And it began here on these lines and it continues in my family. It continues in my life and it just extends out into the world and working these steps and staying connected and staying within this group and and doing my three minutes of service is the way. This is what we do to be a community and a fellowship. And it's just such a, such a beautiful, a beautiful place to start my day. Thanks. Thank you, Marie J. And Barbara E., it's your turn, and then it'll be Nancy P. Thank you so much. Can I be heard? Yep, you can. Oh, great, great. Okay. Well, what jumps out at me, of course, is the words embarrassment to you and his friends. I certainly felt I was an embarrassment to my husband, to my children, and to especially my petite, elegant mother. Uh, I always thought I was doing no harm to anyone but me. I wasn't driving drunk. I wasn't doing drugs. I was simply eating, eating, no harm done. And I would have been insulted if someone had called me on it. I definitely would have not been a happy camper. And I was always positive that I could do better and tried various means of doing it. Did I lose friends? Yes, because I chose to. I isolated with my frenemy. I realized dimly that I couldn't eat like other people. And I was always remorseful and promising myself that I would do better. But I never cooked. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. And the chapter reminds me of the carnage that my disease created within my family. I remember going to a psychiatrist many years ago because I was upset that I thought that my son, my young son, had some issues. And the psychiatrist said, I think perhaps we should focus on you and your emotional issues and visible eating disorder. I was so upset that I thought I might have issues 
Then I never returned for another visit. I was blind, yet I had no happiness or joy, and I certainly was not a good wife, a caring mother, or a good daughter to a mother who deserved a good daughter. I took no responsibility for my actions, no matter how trivial. I lied, I cheated, I was dishonest, I was self-centered, I was everything negative. But the good news is I finally had to conceive, surrender. I had to accept that I am and always will be a compulsive overeater, unable to go to food for comfort without outside intervention. I'm willing to pray and really think about the words today, not just say them rote. I'm willing to come out of isolation and desolation and ask for help from my higher power and from my fellows. I'm willing to share my darkest, most shameful secrets. I am willing to do whatever is needed to be a kinder, gentler person in this world. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Nancy P. It's your turn, and then it'll be Richard B. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Hi, this is Nancy P. calling from Boston. Um, so, yeah, sort of before and after for me, um, you know, that's what I've been hearing. Um, my biggest source of joy, um, uh, one of many big sources of joy is my relationship with my children. And, um, you know, I had my kids, I was married for 12 years before we decided to have kids. And one of the reasons, one of many reasons was, um, because I was afraid that if I had kids, they wouldn't like me. And um, I found out that that's not true. I had my kids and they loved me. And um, they were, you know, they were great. They still are great. And, um, <clears throat> but, you know, I've been in this program for almost 50 years. And um, in the beginning, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to, be, you know, an infant can't argue, so I, that was fine, you know, and once they started to develop, you know, more individual personalities, and, you know, my solution was to yell at them all the time, basically all the time, I just felt like I was a yelling mother, and, um, but at the same time, I felt like I was a really great, nice mother, and luckily, I, I went through this program I mean I, I didn't I stopped yelling sort of as quite as much but I was still angry all the time all the time I was angry and um, in particular you know um, about some family situations that were just driving me insane with rage and um, then I went through this process and you know the yelling stopped and before I went through the process you know one kid did something to the other and my son said you know make her stop that. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, yell at her. And I said, funny, you should bring that up as a solution because I yelled at her for 10 years and it did zero good. The only thing that happened was that I damaged my relationship with her. So I don't yell anymore. And, um, you know, I can't stop her. I can't control blah, blah, blah. And, but at the same time, I hadn't been, I hadn't recovered from compulsive overeating. So I wanted to yell. 
well, you know, it's sort of like your motives are obvious. My motives are obvious to everybody. You know, my, my, the things that were driving me, just because I wasn't yelling, I might as well have been. I mean, not quite, but I might as well have been. I was still doing damage to my relationship with my daughter and, and my son. And um, then I got through this program, and when I um, made my amends to my, to my daughter, I didn't say that I was sorry. I said that I knew that I had yelled a lot and that that must have been so painful and hurtful. And I said, I'm not going to yell at you anymore. And um, she, of course, forgave me. And now, no matter what, you know, part of my yelling was, come on, it's time for dinner. Or let's go out. It's time, you know. And now I force myself to go where they are and say, "Time, you know, I'll wrap up and say and say what I need and say what say what the circumstances are." And you know, kids are resilient, and I've preserved my relationship with them, and I'm just ever so grateful. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy P. Richard B. It's your turn, and then it'll be Ginger C. Thank you, Monica. Can I be heard? Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name's Richard B. and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Ireland. Um, looking at that text, just before it goes into describing the four men, we have the abusive man. I'll call him Man Zero. And that man is a douchebag. <laughs> and he was abusive douchebag. And I need to look at me and what I was like then. Um, I remember a, a situation where I lost my temper so much and uh, trying to get my own way and I threatened my wife with a knife and that was absolutely horrific for her and I was completely oblivious to that and so much so that I forgot about it for years. I blanked that out um, and there were many, many, many other instances. And that almost resulted in divorce. And I didn't know that until years later. Uh, So I'm incredibly grateful that it didn't. And then moving on to man one, me, the embarrassment that I caused, the worry that I caused her and my family. Um, There was one situation where I lived up a mountain in a different county here in Ireland And I was so desperate to get my hand on a trigger food that night that I got in the car with no driving license, no motor tax or anything. It wasn't legal. And I drove to the village six miles away. And the shops in the village were closed. So I continued on to the next town another six miles. And... I remember there was a police checkpoint where they were checking for licenses and uh, insurance discs and tax discs. And I drove so close up to the backside of the car in front of me in order to not be seen, uh, for the the policeman not to see my windscreen, to see the, or to see the lack of those things in my windscreen. And... I pushed on through and grateful that I didn't get stopped, but I got my trigger food and drove home and told my wife about it. And she was worried sick and she must have thought that the police were going to come calling at the door. Um, So moving on 
and I'd like to say this to the still suffering compulsive overeater out there, there is hope. There is a program of hope and it's contained in this book. And I am so grateful for the last five and a bit months that I have a life beyond my wildest dreams now. Yeah, I still have a lot of weight to lose and I am hauled up with a back injury. Um, which Time. is in, Okay, thank you. Which is impeding uh, recovery, physical recovery somewhat. <clears throat> but it has changed my behavior and I'm so grateful to this meeting and this book, uh, which has taught me how to lead my life. So sorry for going slightly over and with that I will pass. Thank you, Richard B. Ginger C., it's your turn, and then it'll be Denise C. Good morning, Monica. Thanks so much for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And um, just love that we're reading those two wives. There's so much in here. 118 is one of my favorite pages in the book. And um, I'm just thinking about my husband, because in my opinion, he's eaten a little too many cookies, and he likes the sugar jar. And uh, obviously being a sugar addict, you know, it's a sensitive piece. I, I almost died from this disease. And I talked to him about it, and then he always says, Ginger, I'm not as bad as you are. You know, and it reminds me of an AA buddy. He said, search for the identification that keeps you in the rooms rather than the comparison that keeps you out. And I did that for many years in AA, too, because I had an alcoholic sister that drank from morning until she passed out at night. And I only went out a few times during the week, maybe not even, maybe only a couple times a month. But the problem is for an addict is once I start, I don't know what's going to happen. All bets are off. I cannot guarantee how many bites I will or will not take. And, um, but, you know, I love this sentence. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband no matter what he says or does. My husband's eating is his eating. And I've shared this. I am so grateful he was not on top of me. He was concerned, absolutely. But he wasn't a nag killer. He wasn't always bothering me and trying to convince me. Because really the best convincer are those bites that I had to desperately eat and take to finally be convinced of this disease and the death, the reality of it. So, you know, it's so important what we're doing here. And why? Because page 77 says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service. Maximum. I am a selfish, self-centered person. Am I really being of a maximum service today or am I thinking again about ginger? And I have to be this maximum service to God and the people about us because they're counting on us. They are in the quicksand. And I want that hand to be there so again, these directions, you know, it says back on 66 or 67, though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, really selfish and self-centered, like this delusional thinking, if things, if things change and go according to my way, I'm going to be okay. I'm good to go. So I get to show love. I get to show patience and tolerance. And that's how I treat a sick, treat a sick friend. And again, this is a tall order. This is... This is a selfish, self-centered state that has to be leveled, this pride, this ego. And it's not easy because it just rises up over and over. But thank goodness it's not an overnight matter. And as long as we're breathing, we have hope. And we just keep pressing on and trudging together. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. Denise C., it's now your turn. Thank you, Monica, and thank you for your service. This is Denise C. from Georgia. Uh, 
I am definitely a selfish person when it came to my disease. I continue to hurt myself, and in hurting myself, I hurt my family. Uh, I was told by several people because of the disease or diabetic in my family that I was headed that way, but I didn't want to hear that. All I wanted to do was to eat. And um, there was never a time when I thought I was hurting anybody else. I only I knew I was hurting myself. I knew that it was dangerous what I was doing, and I knew that it was a disease that could kill me. And it because uh, I've seen it kill other people in my family, but that wasn't my concern. All I wanted to do was to eat my binge food, and to me, I thought I wasn't hurting anybody. I'm only hurting myself. So why is everybody so concerned about what I'm doing? But after I came into the program and I got to the point where I started working the steps, I realized that I was hurting other people when I started reading the big book. And to to the wise, I can say to my husband and my children, I apologized to them. I made amends to them. I can remember the time when my son didn't want me to go to school with him, he always wanted his dad to go there. And I know it was because of my size, and I know he was embarrassed. I know that my children were being teased by their friends because their mother was obese, And but it didn't stop me from eating. It wasn't until a situation came where it did, it was unto death that I had to realize I had to do something about this. And I always wanted to, I always had the desire to want to, but I never did anything about it. I just continued to eat my food of of allergy, knowing that it was killing me, but that's how I comfort myself. I I felt better when I was eating, and then afterward I had so much remorse that I knew that what I was doing was affecting other people that love me. I, too, have a mother that's very thin, and she's 85 years old, so she gets to say what she wants to say, and she used to always say to me, you are getting so large. Every time she saw me, she said, you're going to kill yourself. I've got a sister that's died from this disease, and I'm watching my my child kill herself. Well, I wanted to stop. God knows I wanted to stop. My higher power knew I wanted to stop. But it wasn't until I came into a vision for you, and I listened online to our other fellows, and I realized that I had something in me that my higher power could do use to help me be in control of my eating. And it's just a 24-hour reprieve. And every 24 hours, I ask my higher power to give me the power I need to stop eating, to to do what it, it, it takes to stay on program. And now I feel at ease about it. Time. At first, it would, thank you so much for uh, uh, that. And with that, I would just like to say that with the help of our higher power, there's nothing that we can't do. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Denise. And we are on page 108. The second paragraph is where we started. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband. We have read through five paragraphs and are sharing on those five paragraphs, ending with, he wants to want to stop on page 109. Who else would like to share this morning? Katie G. I heard Vasa and I heard Katie G and that was it. Okay, who else? Melissa J.R., Dorita. 
it uh, P? Julie M. Julie M. All right, I'm going to stop there because I'm not sure how we're going to do time-wise. This is what I heard. Vasa O, Katie G, Lisa J.R., Dorita P, and Julie M. Lisa J.R. Julie M. Okay, Vasa, you're up, followed by Katie G. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Monica, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful recovered, compulsive Vita, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it says, who wants to want to stop? And by the time I came to, I was introduced to Overeaters Anonymous, there was nothing more that I wanted than to stop eating. It's not like I didn't try over the years. I struggled with the food addiction for 25 years. And I didn't even know it was called food addiction or it was called disease. I didn't know anything about the allergy or the mental obsession. I had no clue. I learned it all in here. And when I came, I was just so grateful to find the solution. Finally, after suffering with this disease for so long, so many years. And I was 41 years old, and it was getting progressive for me. I could control it for a while, but I could never keep it down. So for me, I became like number two and number three. I was, it was, I was just out of control. And I really, I, it was going to kill me. I was 41 years old, and I really, you know, I remember foreseeing by the time I was 45 years old, I was going to die. It was crazy, you know. But I remember I had a child. He was only three years old at that time. And I remember saying, if I don't, you know, if if I don't do something about this, it's just going to kill me. This child's not going to have a mother, you know. And I was at the bottom, you know. I hadn't, I was only, only five, one, and I had to be like 30, 35 pounds. But it was, you know, I'm little, you know, that was a lot of weight on, on my small body, small bones. And uh, I didn't know how much I was hurting my family. I, I was nurturing myself with the food, and I was nurturing the, my family with the food. But really, you know, I was the one that had the disease. I don't see that, I don't see too much in my family to the point that I, you know, they are suffering from it or they're concerned about the, you know, the eating habits. But anyways, uh, there was a lot of, I saw, I, I was growing up with uh, with alcoholism, and I grew up, uh, my mom was the compulsive overeater. There's just so much pain and suffering there. And the doctors would tell her, you can't, you got to stop, you gotta, can't do this. She couldn't, She, you know, she had the disease. I know now, looking back, and I remember saying, why doesn't she, why can't she stop? You know, she's just suffering. Heart problems, diabetes, hypertension. You know, well, she did not know how. And I do, she did die from this disease. It's by the grace of God. I, I do believe she prayed for me to find the help. And, and I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. And what a gift, what a gift. I never thought I would ever put the food down and uh, and not pick up those uh, alcoholic foods that I was suffering, and then working the rest of the steps. Time. I'll wrap it up. Um, my husband never really, he never thought, you know, food, he still doesn't believe in the disease. He thinks people should have the willpower and just stop. But that's okay. He doesn't understand, but I understand. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Katie G, it's your turn, and then it'll be Lisa J.R. 
Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my friends. KKG Recovered in Boston. And I'm thinking a couple things. First of all, treat him when you can as though he has pneumonia. Remember, I am very ill. I'm unreasonable. And um, when I first heard the disease concept, I thought this was like, okay, so I'm, I'm a, I have a disease, right? So I can get off, right? But no, like, if my friend told me they had pneumonia, I'd say, go to a doctor and get your treatment. I wouldn't accept if they were like, yeah, you know, I have pneumonia and it's okay. Like, I'm crazy, but I have pneumonia. And that's the way it is for me with this illness. Like, I'm at dis-ease with food, right, before I was recovered. Like, I had no power, no choice, or no control around the food because I'm abnormal, right? And I, I, for me, I had to get desperate, dying, and doomed enough to accept that as I have pneumonia, a.k.a. my food addiction, it is my responsibility to take care of this disease and enter into the program of recovery, which is the 12 steps. The 12 steps are a program of recovery, right? Entire abstinence and the 12 steps. And um, so that was really important to me, not just to say, yeah, I'm sick. Okay, mm, I'm done. The other thing I'm thinking of is like for me, when I was number two, I hadn't given up yet, right? Like I want to want to stop. Like how many sponsors did I call and say, yeah, I, I get it. Like I'm getting it. I, I'm aware. I can't eat like other people. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I talked to you yesterday, and, and I, I was ready to do it, but I still have this lurking notion, and, you know, so I went back and ate again, and, you know, this paragraph says, we think I am, you, you, that person is in danger. I have the earmarks of a real compulsive overeater, but I haven't ruined everything, and I still want to want to stop. Now, I'm not saying that, I, thank God. I didn't have to ruin everything, but I had to move on for me, like wanting to want to stop calling recovered people and, and giving them my froth, right? What's my froth? I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Next day I ate. I ate, right? Because I hadn't, I it didn't, you know, I hadn't conceded to my innermost self. And I would love to tell you that like all you have to do is X, Y, and Z to get to want to move from wanting to want to stop and give that frothy emotional appeal to actually doing it right because like we say willingness is so overrated action is the magic word right i have this illness i accept it to my inner core and i am willing to do whatever you say you know i stop interviewing the sponsor and i say yes ma'am i stop the yeah but i don't but i don't know I don't know what to tell you except to keep showing up because that shift is vital. Unless I accept that I am a real compulsive overeater, I won't do the program of recovery. And I'm blessed to know that I need this program of recovery today. And I wish you all that blessing. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. Lisa J.R., you're up, followed by Dorita P. Good morning, everybody. Lisa J.R., gratefully recovered by God's grace and mercy today. Um, wow, I can't even jump off that uh, first paragraph. I love that they kind of expand a little bit on, on the more about alcoholism with the, the different um, types. But, you know, here I am. Um, definitely, when I came into the program, I was the grouch and the brainstorm on page 66, um, and I was getting poisoned, uh, very angry. As um, I am my husband's qualifier, he is mine. So I have both sides of the coin here working. Thank God 
that he treated me with more grace and kindness than I treated him. Um, coming into the program, I, I and I still um, struggle with judgment. I struggle with inward judgment, outward judgment, um, and character assassination. And I was um, hell on wheels for him to deal with towards the end of my illness, uh, untreated illness. Um, you know, when I came in the rooms, they had all these slogans, and one of them, live and let live, used to just, and let go and let God, I used to just fiercely roll my eyeballs and said, oh, God, you know, this is so corny. And now I love both of those uh, slogans. You know, he is a sick and unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. Well, you know, my husband could do that for me because he knew something was wrong with me. Um, you know, I was like an emotional yo-yo. Um, so, again, would get angry at the drop of a hat. But it was hard for me when I, I got on 67 and got that sick, sick man's prayer. That was really hard for me because, don't you know, I look at somebody with pneumonia and I feel bad for them. And I say, oh, my gosh, this person's got pneumonia. But the 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 cynic in me says, well, did they smoke? Well, did they are they taking care of themselves? And it was very hard for me to not, you know, um, start to, to get into judgment. And I finally realized that, you know, I'm not just sick. I'm I'm disabled. Um, it, it goes beyond the only way that I've found that for my qualifiers, um, the only way that I can deal with grace is to just start to look as though they're, you know, we, we're emotional quadriplegics or emotionally disabled. And that's the only way I, I have found that I've been able to find grace here. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, um, this, you guys are teaching me every day, um, you know, what I am and how I can dig my way out of this uh, stinking thinking and deal with the obese woman between my ears that's raging. Um, so, yes, when I came in, and I'll, I'll go to the bookend, yes, he wants to want to stop. Well, you know, I prayed those gumball machine prayers. Please help me, God. Help me stop this. Time. And Thank you, Monica. I'll wrap up. And it wasn't until I took the action of putting it down and having faith in that that I could begin to recover, and I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa J.R. Dorita P., it's your turn. Thank you, Monica. Hi, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Hi, my name is... Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much for your service. My name is uh, Dorita P. from Cleveland, and I'm a uh, recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm really grateful to be here. It's a privilege and honor to be at a meeting of uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Everybody did not get this opportunity for whatever reason, and I'm really grateful I have a seat here. I have no clue about what's going to come out of my mouth. A million things was going through my head, so I don't know how this is going to come out. But, um, yeah, I could really relate to, you know, all of this. Um, and I thought I wasn't hurting anybody uh, but myself. I wasn't affecting anybody uh, but myself. Uh, so I... um you know, I wasn't affecting anybody, you know, because I ate chocolate every day or I ate McDonald's every day or I ate potato chips or I ate, you know, 
cakes from Dairy Queen, you know. Um, and um, so, um, but I wasn't living, you know, that was my life. Um, and people, they wanted to get together with me. They wanted to spend time with me. But all I wanted to do is spend time with my food. Um, and my mom, she took care of me. She she didn't take care of me financially, but she took care of me emotionally. Um, I remember being, um, I could say, uh, bedridden, I could say. Um, you know, I would just come out of my room to use the bathroom or to eat. And it was a it was a horrible existence, and I thought I wasn't affecting anybody. Um, so I'm just really grateful for this program. And like it says in one of these chapters that, you know, many uh, take up their beds and walk again. And I literally took up my bed and, and started walking again. So and I'll just close with, um, I was at a meeting um, yesterday and a newcomer, uh, she said she's scientific and she, you know, don't know or don't believe in a higher power. And I just told her, I don't know about a higher power either. I guess nobody knows exactly for sure, but all I know, excuse me, is I went from uh, almost 300-pound, miserable, depressed, suicidal person to a person that's 150 pounds and uh, happy, joyous, and free. So now how that happened, I do not know, but I can't explain it. So I'll, I'll call it God, and you can call it. I told her you can call it whatever you want to call it, but I know it's something. And so with, with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you, Dorita P. Julie M., you're up, and I'm sorry, you only have two minutes. Hi, this is Julie M., recovered in Colorado. Um, the line where it, it talks about um, business, I can't remember exactly, but I'm a, I teach fourth grade, and I can remember thinking how, like this is pretty twisted, how I could yell at my kids at home, but not yell at my kids in my classroom. And I remember thinking, if, if people heard me at home, they wouldn't want me teaching their children. And I can remember yelling at my kids, and I remember them, they looked at each other, and they started laughing at me. And they said, look, mom's hulking out. And I was it was a mortifying moment, but it was also an incredibly powerful moment of recovery for me because I, I realized, oh, my gosh, my children refer to me as the Hulk, and they laugh at me. So my, my yelling was doing nothing. All it was doing was making, you know, I ended up feeling awful. But I remember in the beginning of recovery, in the beginning of working the steps, I had little sticky notes all over my house that said, no criticism, no criticism, no criticism. And I can remember not knowing what else to do. I didn't know how to not yell at my kids. I would just stand there with my mouth shut, and I would envision duct tape over my mouth, and I would ask God, please help me not to yell at my children. <clears throat> and I would just say duct tape, duct tape, duct tape in my mind. And I don't yell at my kids. And my kids have said to me, Mom, you're such a different person. And my relationship with them has been restored. And it's only from working these steps and from having a, rela a relationship with a power greater than myself that I, I connect to and that I, I seek that relationship. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's been a struggle for me. But it's there, and I am so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Julie M. That was perfect timing. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Monday, September 10th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 11,893-11893. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Craig F., would you read for that? Read for us, please. Thanks, Monica. I'm here. Okay, our book, this is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to play for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.